time for our children's message. So kids, here we go. Ready to listen? All right. So during this time when we are uh, at home, how many of you like going outside and playing outside? I know we do. We do that at our house quite a bit. One of the things my boys and I like to do is we like to go outside and play football in the front yard. And when we go out and play football, I'm usually the quarterback. I'm usually the one who throws the football to the others, all right? So with that in mind, I have a question for you. Who is the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers? Anybody know? Aaron Rodgers, right? Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback. So when we go out in the yard and I'm the quarterback, I try to play like Aaron Rodgers, right? Uh, I try to make a, a good play. First, I try to call a good play, good routes for the receivers, I try to make good play calls. I try to play like he does, try to make good throws like he does, all right? Now, I become like Aaron Rodgers in some ways uh, for a reason, for a purpose. Now, my purpose isn't to make millions of dollars, although if somebody wants to give me millions of dollars, that'd be just fine. But that's not my purpose. That's probably not going to happen, right? But I still play with a purpose. I still try to be like Aaron Rodgers for a purpose, my purpose is to help the receivers catch the ball when I throw it to them, right, to help my team score, and my purpose is to go play well and have fun with my sons. So I become like Aaron Rodgers for a purpose. Now, last week, uh, in our passage for last week, we read that Paul gave up his rights, the things that he was entitled to, for the sake of the gospel, for the purpose of the gospel spreading. And in today's passage, as Pastor Jeremy mentioned, we're going to read that Paul became like other people for a purpose. Paul lived his life like other people. He took on their lifestyle for a purpose. Now, he certainly didn't participate in their sin. That's not what he's talking about. But he lived like them. He became like them for a purpose. Now, if you've been listening, what do you think that purpose was? Why would he do that? Well, Paul became like others for the sake of the gospel. He did it for the purpose of spreading the gospel and allowing the gospel to have an effect in people's lives so that they could hear and believe in faith and be saved. So not only does Paul give up what he has, uh, what he has a right to, but uh, he also tries to live like other people in their environment um, so that he will have an opportunity to share the gospel with them and that they would be able to hear and believe. So as you think about that, is Paul being selfish in the way he's living? No, not at all. He's just the opposite. He's doing everything he can in order for the gospel to have an effect, in order for him to have an opportunity to preach the gospel and for people to believe and be saved. And so that's a good example for us as well. When we know Jesus Christ, when we know him as Lord and Savior, we should give, our, give of ourselves in order to help others hear the gospel and come to know Jesus Christ, that they too may be saved. So thanks for listening. Pastor Jeremy's going to come now and preach from God's Word. All right, if you turn with me to 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 27. Again, that's First uh, Corinthians chapter nine, verses nineteen to twenty-seven. Uh, the issue that Paul is dealing with throughout the entire letter to the Corinthians, especially here, is divisions in the church. 
the main issue in chapters 8 and 9 is this issue of eating meat. Those who feel free to eat meat, who have free consciences to eat meat, in which, they, which we should, look down on their nose who don't. And those who don't eat meat look down on their nose who do. And so they have divisions over whether or not they should or shouldn't eat meat in the church. Uh, the elders, a few, I guess it's probably been a year ago or maybe more, read a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, called Life Together. And there he makes the case that whenever Christians come together and have life together, there's inevitably going to be this competition to see who's better than the other, who should have higher positions than the other. And that's what's taking place in Corinth. And so Paul then is making the case that he would never, the principle is found in verse 13, he'll, he'll never make use of a right where it harms a brother. He refuses to do it. He won't do it. So that's the issue here. That's the principle. We have these rights in Christ, but we're more than willing to set them aside where they might cause harm to another in regards to the gospel, in regards to either coming to Christ or growing in Christ. Paul will not look down on others, will not despise others, will not stand firm on these secondary issues where they will cause another to stumble. Um, and, and let's be reminded here, when we're talking about this issue of despising others, this could be a two-way street. Often we think that it's just those of higher places of prominence, those with more wealth or more beauty or more intelligence or more degrees, look down on those who don't. But the, it goes the other way, too. It happens in America all the time. Those who have lesser looking down on those who have more. And they look down on those with a better education. They look down on those with better clothes. They look down on those with better jobs, more money, and so on. So this can go both directions. Uh, maybe a, a good application would be now the issue of the safer at home issues. I, I am completely in the camp of it's time to open society back up. Sorry if that disappoints some of you. But I'm better than you. Uh, my thoughts are better than your thoughts. My research is better than your research. And so I, I could come to despise those of you who think that we should still be safer at home indefinitely. And you might despise me. I don't care about people. I want all the elderly to die and so on and so forth. But on these issues, the thinking oneself superior to the others cuts off relationship, cuts off care, cuts off uh, you and I growing in Christ together. Uh, and, and so we won't do that is Paul's point. We refuse to do that. All right, let me read the text. Pray from uh, Psalm 119. And then uh, I want to get into this principle, and Paul gets into some details of how this would play out. For though I am free from all, the all there is understood to be people, though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant, a slave to all, that I might win more of them. There it is. There's the principle. To the Jews I became as a Jew, as a Jew, not a Jew, just as a Jew, like a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. 
I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all runners, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Father, teach us the way of your word that we might keep it to the end. God, give us understanding that we might keep your whole law and observe it with our whole heart. Forgive us, God, for being heartless. Lead us in the path of your commandments that we might find delight in it. Incline our hearts to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn our eyes from looking at worthless things that we might have life in your word. God, we long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give us life. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, the principle in these verses is first stated in 8.13. If food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. So on these issues of secondary importance, we'll be glad to set them aside. We'll be glad to humble ourselves and become like those who can't eat meat. We'll act like them in order to not harm them in Christ. Paul says it again here in our verses, or even before he's talking about his own example. So that, that, that's the principle in verse 13. Then Paul uses himself as an example. Paul has rights, and his rights are even higher than their rights. He's an apostle. His rights as an apostle are higher than their rights as non-apostles. And Paul won't use those rights where they'll harm others, where they'll put an obstacle in front of them to the gospel. He has a right as an apostle to take a wife. He has a right as an apostle to eat and drink by his work of the gospel. He has a right as an apostle to demand that the church support him. But he won't use those rights. Why? Why? Verse 12 of chapter 9. We endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of, gospel, of the gospel of Christ. And then in our text, but we make ourselves slaves to all, freely, not being compelled, freely. Why? That we might win more of them in verse 19. We do all things in verse 23 for the sake of the gospel. So here's the principle. Paul, who has great rights as an apostle, lowers himself for the sake of the gospel. Why would he do that? Because that's what Christ did. That's what Christ did. Who can forget Philippians chapter 2? Who can forget that Christ, equal with God, in verse 6 of Philippians chapter 2, Christ, in the form of God, God of God, God of very God, eternal, omniscient, all-sufficient, God of God, Christ who is God, did not count equality of God a thing to be grasped. He didn't hold so tightly to who he was that he was unwilling to lower himself in order to save others. But he emptied himself. He, he, 
he lowered himself. He didn't become less than God. He added to his divinity humanity. He took on flesh. He was born in the likeness of men. He became us. He took on our flesh. There's never been a greater lowering of oneself than Christ, who is God, becoming man. And he didn't just become man. He became a servant, verse 7 in, in Philippians. He became a slave. And so this is the gospel. Why did Christ do that? Well, he, he, he wasn't compelled to do it. He, he wasn't doing it under law. He did it freely because of love. The only way for you and I to be reconciled to God in heaven would be for the second member of the Trinity, God himself, to become like us in order to save us. And if he is too proud, if he's too good to lower himself, then we have no salvation. And Paul is taking this gospel and saying, we must live according to this principle. You can never be too good to lower yourself in order that others might be saved. So we have great freedom in Christ. Look at verse 19. Though I am free from all. This is great gospel freedom. We're free from all. Just, just think of this. You and I often submit ourselves to being controlled by what others think of us. This is a freedom from being controlled by others, by the expectations of others, by the man-made rules of others. Don't touch, don't eat, don't taste, don't listen to that, don't watch that. We're free from that. Others might seek to control you by arbitrary rules, and you'll never be good enough to meet them. There's no forgiveness for transgressing them. It's always a moving target. You have people like that in your lives, people like that in the world. This is what's so frustrating about these safer at home. When's it over? (laughs) According to what rules? It's frustrating, but we're free from it. We're free to submit to it, actually. It's Paul's point here, isn't it? We're free from that. Now, sometimes we're controlled not by others' arbitrary demands and not by the conscience of others. Sometimes we submit ourselves to being controlled by what you might think of the cool kids. You have people who you think are higher than you. They're better than you. They're the cool kids. They're the, they're the elite club, and you want in, so you're going to claw and do whatever you can do to become part of the cool club you'll forsake Christ to be part of the cool kids. You, you want to do that. This is a temptation for teens a lot, isn't it? This is a temptation for 60-year-olds too. You want to be like others so much that you care little to be more like Christ. And Paul is saying, in Christ, we're free from this. I'm free from the demands of others. I'm free from caring what others think about me. I'm so free that I'm free to submit myself to others. This is where he's going. So we have incredible freedom. Why would, what does he do with that freedom? Well, here's the thing. When a 16-year-old gets a driver's license, their freedom expands tremendously. But with this freedom comes great responsibility. Increasing freedom always increases responsibility to use it well, to use it wisely. And so Paul gives us the goal for using our freedom. The goal is to win more of them. 
The goal is in verse 22 that by all means I might save some. The goal is, verse 23, I might, I, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Paul talks about an athlete running to win. He talks about a boxer, not just blindfoldedly flailing, but punching with, a, with an aim, with a focus. What's the focus? What are we running to? What's the goal? Well, that more might be saved than we ourselves might be saved. The goal is eternal life here. The goal is heaven. The goal is entering into the place where God is, seeing him, being with him, joining with the saints from all history together, enjoying God. And so Paul is saying, with all of these freedoms I have in Christ, where I can, where my conscience the law allows, where God's law allows, I'd be glad to submit those freedoms for the sake of more coming to Christ. That's what's going on. So Paul gets into some details here. He says, in verse 20, to the Jews I become as a Jew. As a Jew. This is so important, that word as. He doesn't say he becomes a Jew. As a Jew. Again, to those under the law, I become as one under the law. Why is the word as there? Why is it there? Well, because our fundamental, ultimate identity is Christian. Your and my fundamental identity is Christian. And where any other identity trumps Christian is where you'll begin to despise others. Okay? Where something that you hold dear about yourself is more precious than who you are in Christ, that's where you'll begin to look down your nose at other people. That's where you begin to look down your nose at other people. Before we talk about that, and this is where I, I pray that the Holy Spirit really you know, bloodies our noses a bit here, to use the boxing analogy. That's where we got to get to. Where is it that you will look down on others because you hold this so firmly, you grasp it so tightly? But first, there's, there's some limits to Paul's becoming like others. He becomes as a Jew. He becomes as one under the law. He, to those outside the law, he becomes like one as one outside the law. But there's limits here. The first limit is evangelism. He guides his life according to what is best to see others come to or grow up in Christ. But we see in verse 21 another limit, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That is, we aren't free to just do whatever it takes to see others come to Christ and, and so break the law of Christ. You, are, you and I are aren't given the authority to decide whether or not we can honor our father and mother. And if it's going to be evangelistically helpful, I can dishonor my mom and dad. That's not true. I see this in dating. You might be tempted to want to date a non-Christian. And you have convinced yourself in your heart of hearts that the reason that you want to date the non-Christian is so they can become a Christian. Now, the simple reality is you're lying to yourself. You might have that desire, but it isn't as strong as you think it is. You're able to dupe yourself. 
but you're, you're sitting here thinking, okay, I can go against the authority of my parents. I could go against the authority of my pastors and elders. I could go against the authority of other wise Christians in my life because I have an evangelistic fervor. No. Not. Can't do it. You don't have the authority. You're wrong. So where the law of God, where the law of loving your neighbor is clearly expounded in Scripture, you are not allowed to check that at the door for the sake of evangelism. But on lesser things, matters of eating, of clothing, of dress, you're more than free to become as other people. For instance, uh, Hudson Taylor, when he went to China as a missionary, began over time to adopt Chinese dress and Chinese hairstyle and Chinese eating habits and the Chinese language. And man, did he catch flack from the other English. They thought he was doing something wrong by becoming as Chinese in order to win the Chinese. On those matters, he was absolutely right in order to win more. But where you might be caused to transgress the gospel, you have no, or transgress God's law, you have no freedom there. Zero, zilch, nada. You cannot go against the law of God. All right, so with those limits in place then, where are you too proud to associate with others? Where are you so superior that you look down at your nose at others? That's what Paul's talking about here. The issue in Corinth in chapter 8 was those who eat meat were too good for those who don't eat meat. Those who didn't eat meat were too good for those who did eat meat. Doesn't that just sound pathetic? But doesn't that sound like you? Isn't that you? Where are you looking down on others? Well, let me give you a few. Would you lower yourself to the culture of Native Americans in order to see more Native Americans come to Christ? Do you look down on Native Americans and where they live and how they live such that you kind of despise them? That there's a an unwillingness to lower yourself to how they live and where they live. Or, or maybe it's a Muslim, an Afghan, right? We're Americans. We're superior to other cultures on secondary matters. It might, it might be in your political views. You're a conservative. You're a Republican. You're a Trumper. And those who criticize Trump, you just don't have any time for. You you wouldn't lower yourself to be like them. Or a Democrat or progressive. You you wouldn't invite them over for dinner. You wouldn't have a civil conversation with them. I'm not saying here we shouldn't disagree. I'm, I'm not saying here there isn't right and wrong. I'm saying here, are you too good for them to come to Christ? Are you too good to associate with them in the hopes of them coming to Christ? How about the Second Amendment? And that one hits home here, doesn't it? Are you too good? Do you despise those who want to limit our freedom there? Are you unwilling to associate with them? Immigration's a big issue in our culture. We are too good to allow others into our country, aren't we? Again, I'm not saying here there's not wise limits on it, 
But there seems to be among Christians an, an anti-immigration thing. We, we have no love for them. We only speak derogatorily about those who want to enter our country. We're too good. It can be in the church, too. Length of tenure at a church causes you to feel superior over the newcomers. You have more rights than them. Your voice should be heard more than them. You should be given higher places of position and prominence than those who are new because you have a right, because you've been here longer, because you've served here longer, because you've given more, and you won't lay down your right for them. Right? People who have been here a long time refuse to let go of their positions, of their offices, so that the younger men and women can occupy them and grow in Christ. This can happen among siblings. The older sibling, the smarter sibling, sorry, there's a fly buzzing around my head. The older siblings, the smarter siblings, the better looking siblings look down on their younger siblings. They refuse to submit themselves to their younger siblings. And so they're harsh and they're critical and they're dismissive. And I'm glad I'm not like anybody else. We're just like the Pharisees who pray, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like, we're not like the publican. Very, We're not like the sinner off in the corner despising himself, pulling out his own hair, beating his own chest because he's unworthy before God. We do not see ourselves like that. The issue here is we have a very weak doctrine of our own sin. We have a very good doctrine of the sin of other people. But when it comes to us, we have a very weak doctrine of our own depravity. We do not see ourselves rightly. You do not see yourself rightly. So where are you unwilling to lay down your rights in order to serve the great gospel interest of another? Who are you too good for? I live in Rhinelander in Oneida County in the Northwoods, and I am too good for the liberals in Madison and Milwaukee. I despise them. I'm a pastor. I know God's word, and I'm too good for the peons and the pews who don't know God's word. Where where are you proud? Where am I proud? Can I ask you too, who are you thinking about right now? Who are you thinking about? Are you thinking about somebody else right now and where they're too proud? Are you thinking about your husband or your wife? Are you thinking about your kids? Are you thinking about somebody else at church or at work? See, we have to get to know ourselves. And the trick we play on ourselves is we... When we hear these kind of things, we immediately begin to think of somebody else and we feel righteous in that. We see so clearly the failure of somebody else. And that's just a trick we have in our own hearts that, that shield us off from conviction and the shame we should feel over how proud we are, how proud you are. And a husband refuses here to look at his own pride and arrogance and how he looks down his nose at his wife. He's a man. He's superior. He's more intelligent. He's more gifted. He's better with the kids. And he refuses to lower himself to his wife. And so he argues with her and he looks down on her and he's harsh with her. But he's really good at seeing where she fails. And you might be doing that right now. Don't do that. The Holy Spirit is preaching this message to you. He's not preaching this message so that you can look down on somebody else now. That's the very thing we're preaching against, and yet you are probably doing that right now. That's not what this is for. 
That's not what this is for. It's so that you can humble yourself and look at where you're harsh with somebody else, where you've been dismissive of somebody else, where you constantly proclaim superiority and righteousness over somebody else. It's at that very place where your pride is greatest. And so will you, knowing the great gift of God and salvation, knowing how eager and willing he is to forgive you of all your sins, are you willing to look at yourself there for the sake of the gospel? And all of this talk is for the sake of the gospel. Verse 18, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Why? That I might win more of them. That I might win more of them. It's evangelistic fervor. We are here talking about eternal salvation, heaven and hell. And you want to quibble over whether or not you can do this or that, think this or that you would be unwilling to submit your right than to see somebody go to heaven. That's what Paul's talking about here. In the church in Corinth, you would rather look down on somebody who eats meat than to see them go to heaven or grow up in Christ. That's what's going on in this text. You, you don't think people with money should go to heaven. You don't think Bill Gates should go to heaven. You don't think somebody wealthy in our churches, you demand of them. You, you look down on them who have more than you have. And you feel superior to them in your lack, in your lack of intelligence, in your lack of educational degrees, in your lack of a white-collar job. You look down on them because you work with your hands or vice versa. But Paul here is simply saying, where I can, I will lay down my rights. Now you might be wondering, okay, spell this out for me. How do I live this? Give me the, give me the parameters. Give me the 10 ways. And I just want to say again there, even asking that question could be an indication that your heart doesn't want to actually do it. When you want the specifics is it because you actually want to live it out or is it because you just want to quibble and, and fight over how to apply this so you don't actually ever have to do it? Don't be so fearful of doing it wrong that you won't even attempt to do it. Give me somebody who's willing to go out there and boldly try this and make mistakes than somebody who just wants to argue about how to do it and isn't actually doing it. Give me somebody who's out there messing it up but attempting it and somebody who won't even attempt it because they're just quibbling over, oh, I can't do it like that, I can't do it like that. What do you mean I can't? What do you mean my Second Amendment right? I, just, just quit arguing about it and go try it. Go try it. Go try it. Why? Because you want to see more come to Christ. Because you want to see people growing in Christ. Because you care about eternal heaven and hell. Parents, where should you be doing this for your children? Where do you have to lay down your rights? Where do you have to lay down your demandingness?
Now, at the end of this chapter, Paul says some staggering things. Well, we're running a race, but only one can receive the prize. So run that you may obtain it. How? Well, this is a race run where you have to be last in order to finish first. Where you have to check your superiority for the sake of others in order to win. The way that Christ got exalted to the right hand of the Father in the place of all glory and prominence is by making himself the least. So husband, if you're going to win this race, you have to make yourself less than your wife. You have to be willing to know her and serve her where she is. In order to win this race, superior trumper, you've you got to check your Trumpism at the door, be willing to submit it for the sake of those never-Trumpers to come to Jesus. You might say, what are you saying? I have to deny the truth? Listen, you know I'm not saying that. You, You know I'm not saying that. You know I'm not saying that. I'm saying, do you care about never Trumpers coming to Jesus and what are you going to do about it? Paul says in verse 25 that we exercise self-control to receive a perishable wreath, not an imperishable. We check our own logs and our own eyes first. We We exercise self-control. We're not boxing aimlessly. We're not boxing blindfoldedly. We we take care to to be critical of our own selves rather than others. We work on our own self-discipline. We look at those areas in our lives where we lack discipline, where we don't live according to this law of gospel love. For the sake of the gospel. Why? Because we want the imperishable wreath. What are you living for? Are you living for the here and now? Are you living for worldly things? Or are you living for eternal things? That's the aim, brothers and sisters. That's the goal. An imperishable wreath. What are you working for? Eternal life. We discipline our body. We keep it under control. Who are you boxing? You're supposed to be boxing yourself. You're supposed to be bloodying your own nose where your flesh is tempting you to live for the here and now and not for the eternal. That's who you're supposed to be boxing. Are you fighting others all the time? Are you in constant um, uh, fights, criticisms, petty rivalries, jealousies with others? If so, it's because you're proud. You're not boxing yourself. You're supposed to be hitting yourself where you're weak. You're supposed to be subduing yourself where you're proud. Proud people are always at war with others and not with themselves. It's supposed to be the other way around, Paul is saying. Why? For the sake of eternal life. For the sake of seeing people come to Christ. For the sake of others being built up in Christ so that we aren't disqualified. What does that mean? Is Paul here saying that you could lose your salvation? Not at all. God uses means in order to accomplish the ends. And the means here is you disciplining yourself. God wants you to take control of yourself, to take yourself under the hand of God, submitting yourself to God for the sake of others. That's what this is for, to see others come to Christ. 
So how is your affection for those apart from Christ? Where is your heart? The final song we're going to sing is Oh for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. I picked it because of the focus of this text. Is that your heart? Oh for more to come to Christ. Oh for more to come to Christ. That's what we want. And we will do whatever we can do to remove all obstacles for that to happen. We'll become as Jews among the Jews. We'll become as Gentiles among the Gentiles. We'll become those outside the law to those outside the law. We'll become weak to those who are weak. We'll become like anti-gun folks to win the anti-gun folks. We'll become like Muslims in order to win the Muslims. We'll become like climate control persons in order to win the climate controlled persons. We'll become like immigrants to win the immigrants. That's what this is about. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to be willing to box ourselves. To be willing to see where we are so critical. Have such a feeling of superiority that we aren't willing to associate with others. Aren't willing to go to the homes of Zacchaeus and others like that because we're better than them. Forgive us for this. Please open our eyes to the places that we have this. Um, Help me to do it. And God, be pleased then by your spirit to bring many to faith here in Christ. Uh, That's what we want. We want you to add more to our numbers, those being saved. And so God, do it here. We are an imperfect people, so proud, so full of ourselves. And yet, God, help us to humble ourselves for the sake of seeing others to come to Christ. And so, God, please do it here and in the other churches of Rhinelander and the other churches of the Northwoods that we would see more and more of those that we don't think should come to Christ, come to Christ because we want to do whatever we can do to make it happen. And so, God, help us to take this responsibility, to make it our prayer, to make it our goal in life. Um, God, help us, please. May we make room for others here. May we move over and, 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 and submit ourselves so that others can come to Christ because that's what your son did for us. And so God help us that more than a thousand tongues would sing our great Redeemer's praise. In Jesus' name, amen. The charge. The charge is this. What can you do this week towards seeing somebody come to Christ? What can you do this week towards... God saving some, that you might be a part of someone saying that I might save some, that more might come to Christ. What can you do this week? Benediction comes from the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It's it's rather brief, but it's rich. May the grace of the Lord Jesus, listen to that, may the grace, the eternal, unending incredible grace of Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord. I love you.